No, what we wanted to do, I wanted to just have some fun, but I also wanted to say something in life that um, still paid up, proved to be true, and that is this, that in life, it's easy to do your tasks sometimes, it's easy to do what you're asked to do, it's easy to do what's expected of you and what life requires of you, but sometimes something happens and you feel blinded. You can't see clearly, and, you're and when you're blinded or blindsided, it's hard to do the things you're supposed to do, isn't it? It's hard to do what you're asked to do when you, when you can't see clearly. As we saw, Cedric's only failed attempt, but he came close. But what I want to say to you today is this, is that when you feel you've been blinded, if you have someone to help you, if there's someone else there to be, to be with you to help you, well then, you might just be Okay. I want to come back to that thought before it's over today. We're going to tell our story. If you've been with us this year, we've been taking a journey through the biblical narrative. And I, by the way, I was going to say this to you. We're getting a much later start to speak today uh, because of all the festivities we've had. And um, um, that does not mean that um, I'm going to, my sermon is not quite as long as usual. It's a little shorter, but it's still longer than the time we have left. We're going to be at a few minutes late today. We planned on that. The good news is, is that after I'm done speaking, we're going to have communion, a couple more, another song, and we'll, and we'll be out of here. But uh, we'll be out a little later than usual because of all the festivities. Um, but we plan that because we have food right next door. And if you're, if you're like, man, i got to get the food as fast as I can, you can walk out those doors and there's a whole bunch of it right there. And so we'll, uh, we'll just get into this and, and get us out of here. Um, we all had one service today, and we wanted to just enjoy it together. So that's why the extra. But here's what I want to say to you as we get started in, in today's message. Um, we've been taking a journey through the biblical narrative. If you've been with us all year, we've been journeying from, from the beginning of the Hebrew story all the way through up into uh, where we are now, which is in the life of King David. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, King David was, um, was just... Um, well, he wasn't king. I keep saying King David. He wasn't king yet. He was a young David who was anointed to be king one day. He was a shepherd anointed to be king, and he was on the run. He, he, things were, were, he was an overlooked person. Then he became discovered by Samuel and by the whole kingdom as a national hero. And then Saul became jealous and began to chase him. And I can't review any more than that for sake of time. Other than to say, if you were with us last Sunday, and if you weren't, that's okay. Here's the skinny. Last Sunday we saw that Saul was chasing David. King Saul wanted to kill David because David was a threat to his throne. And David was hiding for his life and had two opportunities, not one but two, to kill King Saul while Saul was helpless, while Saul was vulnerable. And both times people were encouraging David to do so, but David said, no, I'm not going to do that because it's wrong He's, you know, God put him here. He's our, our nation's leader. And even though, though he's after me and though he's wrong, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands against him because he's not my place. And so he said, even though he's chasing me, I'm not going to kill him. Even though I have an opportunity, just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean it's right. And just because I could doesn't mean I should. And so David did not kill Saul twice when he had a, a chance because David didn't look at his immediate circumstances around him and say, oh no, right now this looks like the best plan to make me feel safer. Right now this is the best opportunity in front of me. David straightened up and took the long look and said, you know, in the long run, that's not the story I want to tell. And he thought of his legacy. We saw the verses where he talked about that. He, he said, I, I'm, I'm just, someday I'm going to look back at this. And that's not the story I want to tell. So I'm not going to do the wrong thing just because I can. 
Well, that was last week. And by the way, have you noticed so far the last few weeks that David's been pretty awesome? Like David has been pretty cool, hasn't he? I mean, everything you read about him, he does the right thing, hardly ever makes a misstep. But David is not perfect. And we're going to see the beginning of that today in our story. Well, a lot has happened since we picked up last. Saw a Samuel, the prophet, has died. The nation mourned him. David couldn't even take time to mourn him. In fact, David, as great as he's been, is probably emotionally struggling more than we understand. He's been running. He's tired of being a fugitive. It's old. He hasn't seen his wife in some time, Saul's daughter. He, um, he's far away from home. He's um, got men gathered to him and their families, which is helpful, but also an extra burden to care for them. Samuel's passed away. He's just tired. And when we're tired, no matter how great we've been, it's always a dangerous time for us. And I want us to read one story today that shows us David at a vulnerable spot where he's not going to always want to do the right thing like he did in our last couple lessons. 1 Samuel 25 verse 1 tells us that David then moved down to the wilderness of Maon. And there was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. And this wealthy man had 3,000 sheep, a 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. And David understood something about sheep shearing time. Because remember, David grew up in a, a home where he was a shepherd. And what David understood was that uh, it, it was kind of like raising crops. In an agrarian culture, when you raised crops or you raised livestock, there was a time when all your hard work paid off when it was time to harvest the crops, or when it was time to take the animals, and in sheep's case, you'd shear them, and use the wool to make some money or make some clothing. Uh, you could kill some of your animals and feed your family and sell the others. So this was a time of, of payoff for all the hard work. And it was a time of celebration. It was a time when people paid their taxes, paid their tithe. It was a time when people gave generously to other people and through festivals. And it was that time for this wealthy man near Carmel to celebrate with his wealth. It says in verse 3 that this man's name was Nabal. And his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. That's interesting. Why that's what they point out about her. She was sensible and beautiful. That's, that's the important things we needed to know. So I, I have so many funny comments I want to make right now, but I'm too sensible. I'm too sensible to make them, so I'm going to keep moving along here. But anyhow, um, but Nabal... Her husband, a descendant of Caleb, he was crude and he was mean in all his dealings. So you have two different people here. A woman who's beautiful and sensible and a man who is wealthy but crude and mean. And that probably tells us something right there, right? It means that Abigail probably lived a good quality of life financially, but she probably lived a lousy quality of life relationally. Because she had to live with this guy. And while she was provided for with, with things, she probably didn't have much going for her when it came to relational health. And, and probably all his servants went through the same thing at the same time. So this was the kind of person we're dealing with. Well, David nearby, we're not going to read all of these verses today, but David nearby has been out there in this area hovering around trying to stay away from King Saul who's trying to kill him. And David has actually been helping Nabal because Nabal's sheep are out there. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. Um, in those days, theft was a common problem. and still is today. We can go to a whole tangent about that with businesses and such. But the, but the situation is that um, people would come and maybe steal a lamb to feed their family or themselves. Or perhaps uh, bandits would come and steal a whole bunch of cattle or crops. And so theft was just part of how things went. 
But David had been out there with his men, and they never stole a single thing from Nabal. Even though they were probably, as fugitives, that would have been helpful to take care of their men. They're just out there living the life. But not only did they not steal from Nabal, they actually protected. Because they were out there, nobody else was roaming around like bandits because David's presence was intimidating with all of his men to anybody else who had come by. And so because David was there, Nabal's stuff was extra safe, which means when it was time to shear the sheep and reap the harvest, guess what's going on? He is, Nabal is extra blessed. He has, he has lost very little inventory. He is thriving way more than expected because he planned for some losses. He had none, thanks to David. So David sends some men to Nabal and says, hey, I tell like 10 of his young men to say, hey, David out there, you know, he's been out there nearby. He's been helping guard your sheep. Nothing's been taken from you. We've been protecting you. And you've had a great year. Hey, while you're celebrating and while you're being generous, would you mind sending us some food? Would you mind giving us a little bit of the feast so we, because we could use something as well? Would you be willing to share while you're being generous? And they expected him to say, oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. But that's not the response they got from this crude and mean wealthy man. Instead, Nabal replies in verse 10, he says, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. And in saying that, he has made such an insult to David. Because David was so much more. David was the hero of Israel, the one who killed Goliath, the one who led the armies into battle. Israel had been safer because of David. Nabal's life was better because of David. And in this moment that Saul has turned against him and, and David's running, most Israel sympathized. But instead of Nabal saying, oh, David? Yeah, we owe so much to him. Instead, Nabal says, he's just a runaway servant. He's just a runaway slave. He dismisses him completely. It's a very insulting thing to say. And Nabal continues. He says, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to a bunch of outlaws who come from who knows where, ignoring the fact that they have so much, they could have shared with David and still come out ahead after all that David had done for them in the woods. But instead he insults them. And so David's servants come back to him. These young men come back and they tell David what happened. And boy, you'd like to think that the David we saw the last few weeks is, is, is in control here. Like David, the man who could step up and say, that's okay, I'm trusting the Lord to take care of me. You'd like to think that David is the same guy that, that didn't take matters into his own hands, that learned to wait patiently for the Lord. We've saw that David for a while. But this David is wore down. He's been on the run. Maybe he's getting tired, weary, drained, insulted, feeling less than, hunted, and now insulted. Samuel's died. He couldn't even grieve that properly because he's a fugitive. And David is not in a healthy spot. And when his, his guys come back and tell him what Nabal said, David does something drastic. David says, guys, get your swords. And he says, we're going to go kill them. David brought his men together with a few behind to watch the stuff, and the rest were going to go. He was going to kill Nabal and every one of his men out of, out of anger. Because, because David's feeling what, what sometimes people tend to, tend to do. He's thinking, I can't stop all of Saul's army that's chasing me. But I can deal with this guy. So, so I got these bigger problems, but I'm going to rain down on the one I can, I can physically handle. See, that's what happens sometimes, right? We've all been there. You ever, you're, uh, or maybe we haven't been there. We've been around someone who's been there. 
You go to work and the boss is difficult to deal with and you can't control your environment there, but you come home and take it out on your family. You have some people in your life who are difficult to work with and they're snide and they're, they're just they're too much you know, to, to handle, so they push their weight around. So you take it out on the nice people around you because they're too nice to, they're an outlet. And so David's basically saying, in this case, you know, Nabal, it was wrong, but I, can deal with, I can't deal with all of Saul's army, but I can deal with Nabal. And so he's just bringing as many, he's gonna go kill him. And it's gonna be bad. Because now you have Nabal, mean and crude man. Now you have David, who's not even thinking straight. Well, verse 14 says, Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. But he screamed insults at them. And of course, Abigail obviously was approachable. The servants knew her. She was a good woman. He said, he screamed insults at, at, at David's men. And then the men continued. They said to her, these, these men, David's men have been very good to us. And we've never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and to the sheep. And so they told her, they said, you need to figure out, you, you need to know this and figure out what to do. For there is going to be trouble for our master and for his whole family. Includes her. And then here's, the, here's what the servant said to her. You know him. He is so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. He's the kind of person that's so ill-tempered you can't even approach him. Like, here's what he's saying. He's saying he's the kind of person that if you say the right things, if you butter his bread, if you compliment him, oh, then he, he's pleasant enough if you show him his respect. But if you ever have to push back or find a fault or correct something, or challenge an idea, it's over over because you can't even talk to him. As long as you're nice, he's like, I love all the people who love me, and if you're for me, then I'm for you, but if you're against me, I'll crush you. He's that kind of a person. We know people like that in the world, don't we? And, 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 Saul, and Nabal's like that. Everyone just walks on eggshells all around him all the time. And so they said to Abigail, we can't tell him he's made a big mistake because he won't listen to us because he's got a hot temper. So Abigail, verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. It's a lot of food. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead and I will follow you shortly. In other words, the implication is I'll let Nabal know what's going on. You just go ahead. But then she just but she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. She just caught up to the servants and said, okay, let's go. Because why tell him? Because all he's gonna say is, you're gonna help that guy. He'd be mad. He'd be mad at her. There's no good outcome. It wouldn't solve the problem. So she's like, I ain't telling him. Which, by the way, someone like that, someone like a Nabal, that's gonna make him more mad later, right? When he finds out that she didn't even bother to care what he thought, oh, this is gonna be drama. But she has, she's gotta solve the problem, so she just takes off. Well, on her way, David is on his way, and we're gonna skip these verses too, but you gotta read the story, especially if you look at the Hebrew and the translation, it's kind of interesting, because Nabal, see, I mean, David seems to be like, like almost like, he's like, he's cussing and spitting and fuming. He's like, I'm gonna kill every one of those people. <laughs> They're gonna die. I've been so nice, I've been protected. David is not healthy right now. All the pressure we've been reading about the last few weeks, and he's just gonna shed blood which is crazy because that's exactly what Saul did, King Saul, who's hunting David. That's what Saul did to that city of priests. 
out of his mind irrational. And David, who's been the good guy, is feeling no better than that because he can do something about this insult. So he's walking away, spewing his you know, profanities and anger and fury and just going towards, he's mad. And on the way, he meets Abigail. Verse 23 says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Now, hold on. What Abigail does next is nothing short of amazing. Because she's going to diffuse a very hot situation. And you, you and I can appreciate that if you've ever had to try to de-escalate a situation once everyone got all angry and heading towards a train wreck. You're trying to talk someone out of something when they're just furious, when their pride's been insulted, when, when, they're, when, they're, when, they're, when they're normally someone else puffs up, so they puff up back and then a, a collision's coming. I mean, and, and Abigail knows what it's like to waste her breath at home with Nabal. But she is going to step in before David here and do something that's so hard to do. And what she's going to give us, and here's why I want us, we're going to slow it down now. Because I'm not going to skip over these verses. We're going to read a bunch of verses. Because I want you to see with me today a master class on how to de-escalate a situation. A master class on how to approach someone who is unapproachable, seemingly. A master class on helping somebody who's determined to go one way change their course. Abigail's going to teach us. Let's, let's see what she does. She gets off her donkey. She bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Accept all the blame? There's none of this blame belongs to her. What's she talking about? Like some of us would be like, I'm not taking blame that's not mine. I want to take blame that is mine, you know. I'm not taking the blame. But here's the crazy thing about blame, and this is just something we all need to think about. The blame game is so unimportant ever. The blame game does nothing to solve problems. It just points fingers. We're good nationally, individually, locally. We're good. Everyone gets to point fingers. Blame you. Well, blaming someone else doesn't solve it. Taking the blame or shirking the blame doesn't solve anything. It's about what you do. And she's like, look, I don't care about the blame game. I'll take it. Because that's not going to move us forward at all. So she says to him, I know. I know that Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool just as his name suggests. By the way, Nabal's name means foolishness or foolish, which is actually pretty fitting. He's a fool just as his name suggests. But she says, but I never even saw the young men you sent. Which makes David say, well, how is it your fault then, right? And then she continues, now my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering, that's what it would be, it'd be murder, Look what she's saying here. David's on his way, but she says, the Lord has kept you from murdering and from taking vengeance with your own, into your own hands. You've not done anything yet. The Lord has kept you from doing something very wrong. Because he has, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to assume he has, then let all of your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And what she's saying here simply is she's pointing back to Saul. Because she knows something that's so, she's so smart here. She knows that this really isn't so much about Nabal. It's really about everything else. It's really about all the other pressures in David's life that are pushing David to react to this poorly. And so she's saying, 
I know, what you're, you're, I know what ticked you off right now, but I know what's really going on under the surface. There's always something going on. And she says, I, because you're not gonna do this wrong thing, because the Lord has kept you, let all of your enemies be, and those who are trying to harm you, Saul, she's speaking into his life where he knows it's most personal. May they all be as cursed as Nabal is. And she says, and here, here is a present that I, your servant, have brought you and your young men. And she offers them all that food. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. Are you following? Because she's not done. Check this out. She says, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you fight, are fighting the Lord's battles. In other words, she is saying to David, I'm gonna speak blessing into your upcoming life. I'm gonna speak, I'm gonna speak into your future. I'm gonna speak positively into what God is yet going to do. I'm gonna speak hope into a situation where there's a lot of anger. And the Lord's gonna bless you. The Lord's gonna reward you. She says, and you have not done anything, done wrong throughout your entire life. She's building him up. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. And again, she's brilliant because she knows David. And remember, Dave, we've seen this story. David loved, David, one of David's favorite tools was his slingshot and his pouch where he kept the smooth stones he, he fired him from. We saw that with Goliath. No doubt he was wearing them at the time she was talking to him. No doubt she knew the legends and the stories of, of his battles in the past. And she's tapping into that because she knows I'm going to speak on a level that you understand. And God's keeping you safe in his treasure pouch. But he's going to take that lies of your enemies and he's going to fire them like stones shot from a sling. And David gets that. She's smart. And she's not done yet. She says in verse 30, when the Lord has done all that he has promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. See what she's doing? She's getting David to do what we said David did last week. She's saying, David, you've stooped over to look at your immediate circumstances and you're making your decisions based upon what's right in front of you right now. But, but lift up, straighten up and look down the road. Take the long look, David. Look at the big picture. God's got, let's look beyond the offensive today at your future. God's got good things in store for you. And when that happens, this will be your past. What's the legacy you want to have? What's the story you want to tell? These are ideas David understood, but he forgot in the heat of the moment because he's blinded by his anger and his offense. And she's reminding him of things he normally knew but had forgotten. She continues, she says, then, if you do the right thing now, then your conscience, it won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Whew, folks, that's beautiful. We'll talk about that before we're done here, but let me finish the story. David replied to Abigail, he said, praise the Lord, whew, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today Thank God for your good sense. I love that statement. He says, thank God for your good sense. Because someone is thinking clearly here. Thank, bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. 
For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. David basically is confessing to her, you're right, I was about to make a huge mistake. Had you not come here, I would have done something terrible. And I admit it. And then David accepted her presence and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. And those are powerful words, especially for Abigail. Because Abigail was used to living with a man who never heard what she said. She lived with Nabal, a man who was ill-tempered, a man who no one could even talk to him. For all the years she had probably figured out along the way, don't waste your breath. But she took a chance to come out here and hope that it would be different this time. And David said, hey, listen, I'm listening. I might just seem as hot-headed as anyone else right now, but I, I'm, I'm listening. I've heard what you said. It's gonna be okay. Well, when Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In other words, he's throwing a party. He's got a feast going on because it's like, you know, shearing the sheep time. And he has all that he did extra well this year, thanks to David, and didn't share any with David or anybody else because it's all his and he's partying and he's having a great time and, and he has no idea while he's drinking it up that, de that death is marching towards his door. And had she not stepped in the way, he would have been on cloud nine on top of his mountaintop until suddenly he would be cast down and it would have been over before he knew it. He had no idea in the middle of his celebration how close danger was. And it wasn't now thanks to his wife, but he had no idea what she did for him. He just keeps partying like nothing ever happened. And she leaves him alone until the next day. In the morning, when Nabal was sober, probably hung over, probably a little hurting, but sober, his wife told him what had happened. And as a result, he had a stroke. And he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. So I don't know if it was the physical toll of his rough living, including the partying last night, that he was feeling really bad physically. And then he had the emotional blow of his wife telling him what happened. Who knows how he sorted that one out? Like, what, I almost died? Oh, my goodness. Or maybe, what, you helped David? That jerk? Or the idea that his wife went and talked to David? Humbled herself before? He probably, maybe he felt emasculated by the whole thing. I don't know what he felt, but he was furious. And he has a stroke. And he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. And David, meanwhile, out there is going to hear the word. And David's going to realize something that we, is so important to understand. David's going to realize what he already knew, but I think he was starting to forget because, let's be honest, you get beat up enough in life and sometimes you'll, whew, David is, is realizing that he's always believed that God would take care of him and eventually deal with Saul, eventually take those problems away, eventually restore David. But in this short-term situation, he almost forgot. But when he got talked off the edge and God took care of it, David, David was reminded of a principle in this one situation that could fuel his faith for the rest of his situations. Oh, yeah, if you don't get your hands involved and do the wrong thing and leave it in God's hands, God will take care of it and you don't have to make a huge mistake. Just trust him. It was a reminder to David in the short run to trust God in the bigger picture. And David, it's not done. We're gonna, I was gonna read so much more story. I had to cut so much for sake of time. It's a good story. But basically David's like, you know what? 
It just occurred to me, a, little, a few days later, it just occurred to me, Abigail's single. And you know, I noticed something about her. She is beautiful and sensible, you know. So anyhow, uh, so he says, hey, you know what? Um, guys, before she gets on FarmersOnly.com and, you know, she, you know, everyone else finds her, go pick her up. So anyhow, they go and tell her, and she actually comes back and becomes his wife. And it's not as romantic as you think because there's a whole lot more going on here. But ultimately, we'll get to that another day. I was going to get to that today, but I cut it for time. But um, she comes back and marries David. And there's, there's more that we'll get to later. But for today, I want to stop the story. We're going to continue our David stories next week and see what God has for us. But here's what I want to say today. Today, as we wrap up the next little while here, we have three major characters. We have Abigail, we have Nabal, we have David. Nabal's a hard-headed guy. You can't even talk to him. He just knows what he thinks. He's a self-made man. He's got it all together. He runs his world. Everyone else just lives in his orbit. You have David, who's going through a tough spot, a good man, but run, run across the wrong bully on the wrong day, and you've had enough of the bullies. You know, David's, off his, David's not healthy right now, and you have Abigail. And thankfully, crisis averted. Nabal's name means foolish. Thankfully, David's doesn't. I want to make a statement as we get, as to make a few thoughts for you. The first one is this. The difference between foolishness and wisdom is the willingness to listen to wise advice. The difference between foolishness and wisdom is the willingness to listen to wise advice. Because here's the deal. None of us are always wise. None of us are always foolish. Foolish people sometimes get some stuff done right. What do you know? And wise people once in a while do some things that weren't wise once in a while. But typically wise people live wisely and foolish people, well, they're just who they are. But one of the key differences you can always tell between foolishness and wisdom is the willingness to listen, to hear what someone has to say. To not say, I don't need to hear that. I know what I'm doing. You don't understand my circumstances. Back off, pal. No one tells me what to do. But the ability to listen to wise advice and, and be impacted by it, that's the difference between wisdom and foolishness. It takes some, take some humility. It takes some honesty to say, I don't always have it figured out right. I need to hear outside voices. Now, most of us would agree with that. Most of us would say, yeah, I might not always do that very well, Arlen, but I think you're right. I think you're right. We should listen, be willing to hear, instead of shutting down input we don't want to hear. I agree with that in theory. Again, I may not practice it always, but I agree. But here's, here's the harder part. We also should be like Abigail, knowing when to speak. Abigail spoke up, but she did so effectively. Here's the, here's the thing. Had, had, Abigail, had Abigail not gone into the situation, had she not walked into the situation the way she did, I mean, my goodness, who knows what could have happened? Had she not gotten involved at all, who knows what would have happened? Had she walked in with the wrong attitude and just said, let me tell you what I think, you big jerk, who knows what would have happened? It's not just that she spoke up, she had to do it effectively. And so we see in her story a, a recipe because here's the thing, folks, getting to be a, an effective communicator to someone that you care about in your family, being an effective communicator to somebody you care about in your job place, in your work culture, in your, um, in your, in your friend circle, to be effective when there's a problem that needs to be addressed, that's, that's, that's the road we're trying to go down. But let's be all honest for a minute. There's a ditch on both sides of that road. 
On the one side of the road, there's the ditch of the people who are like, oh, I'll say something, because that's how I am. I just speak my mind. I got something to say, I just say what I'm gonna say, you know? And, and who cares if it's effective or not? I'm just gonna say my piece. Then there's other people who are like, I don't wanna be like that, so I'm just gonna like step back and hope it all goes away. But that's no plan. So the first, I wanna give you a couple steps here. The first one that's on the screen is speak. If you're a kind of person who doesn't wanna speak up, listen, speak, speak up. I know that's a challenge, isn't it, for some of us to speak when we want to shrink back. And I'm not, look, let me clarify one thing here. Um, I'm not referring to every little offense you have. You need to just jump in and say something. I'm not talking about you know, being a, you know, teenage, teenagers who get offended by something someone says and have to fire off a comment on, uh, on social media or on text or you know, talk about their friends and create more drama because they just couldn't hold back. I'm not talking about that. That's just immature. That happens. We've all been there. I'm talking about there are times when the situation is going somewhere bad. There's bad outcomes in front, either relationally and you want to avoid it, or whether it's someone's going down a bad path and you care about them, and you're thinking, well, if I just ignore it, maybe it'll all just magically work out. But things like that don't tend to de-escalate. De- at some point, you've got to step up and say something. Be willing to speak. But for those who are here saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Arlen. I always speak my mind. Okay. Are you effective, though? So my next statement is this. Don't only speak, but speak humbly. That's what Abigail did. She comes along and she's like, listen, listen. Um, she took a humble approach. Do, is that how we speak to people? Well, I'm not going to. I was going to tell them I know a few things. Or do we say to people, listen, hey, I might be wrong. I don't maybe have all the story. And maybe, maybe there's more to it. And listen, I'm not perfect either. And you're not, none of us are perfect. And you're a good person. And I'm, we're all trying Forgive me if I'm out of line or if I've got something wrong, but can I just say something as someone who cares about you? When you come with humility, half the reason why confrontation doesn't go well is because it's perceived as arrogant. So speak humbly, genuinely humbly. But also speak honestly. You can't, you can't ignore the issue. If you're trying to help someone in a tough spot, you gotta speak honestly and say, hey, listen, here's the problem. Abigail's like, listen, David, what you're about to do is gonna hurt you in the long run. That's not the legacy you want to have. This would be something beneath you. This is a mistake. I'm going to point it out. Boy, I tell you, we've got to learn to not just go to people in our friend circle and just say what they want to hear and, oh, agree with them because we've got to be willing to be humble but honest and say, I'm not so sure that's going to work out the right way. I'm not so sure. That's the, let's think about the outcome there. Is that what we really want to happen? Can we look at the situation and, boy, I'll tell you, that I, don't, I just don't know that you're going to like what happens next. If, not, not a threat, but I'm just saying that, that, that might turn out bad. I'm going to speak honestly. Speak, speak humbly, speak honestly. Last of all, speak hopefully. Abigail did this with David. She looked at his future and said, God's going to bless you. You've got great days ahead. When you talk to people, you never make it about people. You don't look at your friend and say, you're an idiot. You look at people and you say, hey, you're a good person and I'm in your corner and I'm your friend. And this is, this is, honestly, this is a bad decision, but you're, you're better than that. And God's got great things for you. Let's look beyond this moment. Let's take the long look. And, and, and I believe the best. I'm excited for your future. I'm in your corner. And speak hopefully. See, that's what Abigail did in her master class. And I know some of us, for us, the challenge is to speak up at all when it's time. But for others, we're like, oh, I always say what I think. But how effective is it? Is it Abigail effective? Or if I can use the story this way, I'll say it this way. Here's a gauge. When you're done speaking, do they want to murder you or marry you? Okay. 
I mean, you know, here's Nabal over here. He's ready to, you know, I want to kill somebody here. David, I'm going to kill that guy. And when and David's done, he's like, I'll marry that girl. My point is, when you're done speaking, do people resent what you said? Do they hate you or, or resent your words or resent how you came to them? Or do they love you for it? That's what she did. Because when you get done trying to approach someone, if you do it the right way, I'm not saying every person responds well to being approached. Nabal didn't. There are Nabals in the world. But if everyone you know doesn't take your words well, and you consistently are burning bridges or hurting people with what you say, at some point you got to ask yourself, is the problem lie with what I say? Do people resent what I say or love me for talking to them in the way I approach things? Do they want to murder or marry me? Now, as we wrap this up today, here's what I want to say. David, good man, but he was blindsided by life and blindsided by Nabal's words, and he was just not seeing clearly. And so as we get close to the, to the end I want, of, of today's talk, I want to say this. Everyone, everyone needs people who can see clearly when we're blinded by whatever. Fill in the blank. Every one of us, you, me, every one of us, we need people who can see clearly when we're blinded by things in life. When we're blindsided by something that happens, when we have bad news comes our way, when we're in a tough spot, when our health is great, when our finances are tight, when our relationships are suffering, when offense has come our way, when someone's hurt us or something's happened, when life and, and circumstances come our way, we need people around us because sometimes we're acting under the influence of whatever. Our decision maker's broken a little bit or at least a little messed up. And we just need people in our lives who can see clearly like our game earlier where when we're all of a sudden blinded, I can't do it as well, but someone, if they're there to help me, I can get the job done. And all of us need people to speak into our lives at times like that. But if we don't have somebody, we're gonna operate poorly when life has left us blinded or blindsided. And so I wanna close with a statement. I wanna talk about it for a couple minutes and we'll be done. A healthy community... A healthy community is a group of people who know when and how to speak up and when and how to listen. And we're celebrating a little bit today as we celebrate Regroup Sunday and it's been a good summer and we are entering the fall and Labor Day weekend next weekend and uh, entering a new, a new season of life. We're gonna eat next door just a few minutes here. Here's the deal. We all need healthy community. In our homes, hopefully your home is a healthy environment. Hopefully at your workplace, you have a healthy culture at work. Hopefully in your friend group, in your neighborhood. But, but of all the places where you ought to have healthy community, our church, our faith community ought to be a place where we find healthy relationships. And what does that look like? It's people getting to know each other and speaking into each other's lives and listening and helping one another. Because here's the trick. Um... We all need it. No matter how good we normally do, no matter how much we're normally on our A game, there just comes moments. There comes moments for all of us when, boom, we need somebody to say, hey, what's going on? So that's why I tell you, get connected with each other. Because we have something in common here at Lighthouse. No matter, we're, we're different in a lot of ways. We have different politics here. We vote differently, and many of us do from each other. We have different sports favorite teams or allegiances. Almost don't even like sports at all, right? Um, God will forgive that. But anyhow, um, we all have different hobbies, different interests in life. But here's the deal. What we all share in common is that we are here on a Sunday because we are leaning in, aren't we? 
to the idea of God and who he is. And maybe we don't even believe yet, or we're not even sure what we believe yet. Or maybe, maybe we've come to faith just recently, or maybe we've been a long time in the church world, but we're kind of leaning out now because I'm tired. Or maybe we're strong in our faith and our beliefs, and wherever we are, the bottom line is we all share something in common. We come together because we're leaning in each week saying, I want to know what God is about, and I want to have a relationship with him, and I want to, I want to lean into that. And we need those kind of people in our lives. That's why I say get to know each other. Have another family over for dinner or go out to eat. Or have the other person over for coffee. Get connected after services and talk. I always tell you on Sundays, you ought to do the GIFT acronym. G-I-F-T, GIFT. We say it so often, not, not, not often enough though. Stands for, G stands for greet someone you've never met before. I introduce people who've not met each other to each other. F, follow up with somebody you've seen before. Hey, how is your job going? How is your family situation that you talked about? T, thank someone who's done something you appreciate. But find something every week to connect. And don't sit back and say, people should come connect with me. That's the path to, to feeling disconnected and disillusioned and jaded. But step out and take the initiative and say, I'm going to connect because I need people in my life. I need a healthy community of people. Not only to be there for each other when times are tough, but people who can speak up for me when I need to hear it, and I can speak up for them because we know each other. And healthy community is people who know when to speak up and when not to speak up, and how to speak up when it's time, and when to listen and how to listen. We saw a great story of that today. And as we get back into this season, I pray that our church be full of people who find healthy community with each other and crises can be averted through our faith. And so, as we wrap this up today and continue our stories of David's adventures another week, do you need to speak? Do you need to speak humbly, honestly, hopefully? Do you need to be wise enough to listen to wise advice? Is something blinding you in life? Do you need someone who's seen clearly? Can we, can we practice healthy community in our homes, in our faith place? Can we build in each other's lives people who are there for each other in every way God called us to be? Let's pray.